Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Hash Brown Girls podcast, where five extremely curious girls hash out all of life's unanswered questions to give you the lowdown fresh off the grill. I'm Huria. I'm Sara. I'm Hania. I'm Afreen. And I'm Como. But collectively, we're known as the Hash Brown Girls. Disclaimer, everything mentioned in this podcast is researched purely and our opinion is based on that research. Trigger warning, we will be discussing some topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. This may include sexual assault, rape, abuse, harassment, and body dysmorphia. Again, these topics may not be appropriate for all listeners. Finally, if you or someone else you know that may be in danger, please call the sexual assault hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. The number again is 1-800-656-4673. Thanks. Welcome to the third episode of the Hash Brown Girls podcast. Guess what month it is, guys? It's International Women's History Month. I'm so excited to celebrate you amazing women. Aww. So how, how are you guys doing? We've been good. We've been good. We've been eating. What are you eating, girl? I'm eating a really good taco, and I'm so excited because... We're taco twins today. Exactly. I saw Hanya was eating, and I was like, oh my god, we're twins. And we even burnt our tortillas, too. So it's- oh, Exactly. So it's a hard shell taco. Aw, taco Thursday. Oh gosh, really, honestly. You guys should have heard the crunchiness. I can show you. Hold on. Hold on. Here's a crunch. I was trying to cook um, chickpea pasta, and for some reason, it burnt, like, in the water. What? What do you mean? Wait, what's chickpea pasta? Yeah, I was trying to process that. It's like a substitute. It has, like, more protein, like, from chickpea than regular pasta. Wait, wait. Yes. Is chickpea flour the same thing as graham flour? Basically, yeah. So technically, you made, like, pakora noodles. Oh my gosh, yeah. <gasps> that sounds amazing. Look at us. Oh, oh my god, wow. everyone's in sync today. Wow. Oh, what'd you have, Sarah? We had chapli kebab with uh Okay, you're the one now. Sorry. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Sarah stays being the fob of the group. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> sorry, I like to celebrate my cultural food. I was actually craving chapli kebab yesterday, so. I look like a chapli kebab. Think about what if we did like chapli kebab tacos? Oh. That sounds really good. Mm, I was thinking about that because I had salad and I had chutney. No, I'd rather have like a chapli kebab wrap. Chapati. A chapli kebab burger. Should we explain what chapli kebab is? Yeah, we probably have <laughs> a good idea. It's like a burger, but not. By the way, guys, chapli kebab is... It's a heavily seasoned burger. It has like coriander seeds. It has like a lot of South Asian spices. Yeah, it's it puts American burgers to shame. If anybody wants our recipes, it, you can join and support us on our Patreon that we don't have yet. And we'll give you the recipes. <laughs> oh my god, you know what we should do? We should make a cooking video. We should video. do a cookbook! Yeah. Oh. Wait, what? Oh. I said cooking videos. <laughs> like... Why not both? Let's do both. Cooking, yeah, cooking videos would be nice. Not the fake ones we made on TikTok last year? Oh, yeah. I mean, cookies, cookies, right? Yeah. I was watching them, and I was so, I was like. Oh, wait, did I just give it up that that was fake? Oh. (laughs) That was not fake, even though there was nothing in my bartan. There was nothing in my bowl. I think the only person that actually made cookies was Sarah. (laughs) Oh. Because you're at the end. (laughs) And I used, like, the ready-made Pillsbury. 
Oh yeah, that's true. I had to like crack the eggs or something like that. And then Heather, my husband kept on like seeing me crack all these eggs. He's like, are you going to do anything with them? I'm like, oh, this is so awkward. So I had to like make Aww. a omelet or oh something Oh my God. Like that. That's funny. We should share this with the world one day. Those were the, that was like the best part of quarantine. I feel like when we first all it was started a different getting world. TikTok. Yeah. Like, it was, it was really world. fun. I thought I could be a TikTok dancer. Um. You I never been tried. TikTok I dancer. Knew. You are. Thanks, you really are. No. The sad thing is when we're making those videos, like I did not use TikTok at all. But now this past year, like later in the year, I've been on it nonstop. And I'm kind of sad because my TikTok literally consists of um, <laughs> BTS, Vampire Diaries and Britney Spears. Did you guys do anything good uh, this past week? Anything exciting that you want to share? I watched the free Britney documentary or framing Britney documentary. I saw that and that was so oh, oh my god. I wanted to check that out. Can you what was it like I've heard so much about it on Twitter. I haven't seen that yet, but I know Yeah. It it basically You need to watch it. Yeah, Sarah. please watch it. It's on Her Hulu. Life. Oh wow, really? It's a documentary, like they have different episodes. Yeah, the New York Times has like some series or something. It was just really interesting because I feel like we were kind of young. We didn't really know what was going on. But I remember even just like reading magazines at that time, like Teen Vogue or Seventeen and stuff. They would always show the tween celebrities, female celebrities, especially at that time. They would show them like, oh, they're having dinner. They're doing this. But we never understood like how invasive, Mm -hmm. you know, paparazzi and all that stuff is and the effect that it has on people, especially young teens. Especially growing up like that. I just feel so bad because they were 16 and 15. And they were treated like whole adults and had to deal with all these mature concepts that people that are barely developing. And not only that, but people criticizing every little thing that they do. But what would you guys think comparing pop stars back then, like Britney Spears versus pop stars now? Because of social media, do you feel like they're not as controlled or... They have more I think I think the fans nowadays are a lot more outspoken towards the treatment of stars, whether they be men or women or girls or boys, I should say, because they're underage, right? And back then, maybe we didn't have we didn't have like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever to kind of speak and be outspoken about it. So I feel like even um, the younger pop stars now, fans have their backs as in they're more like outspoken and they can get more attention from other people to like say like hey this is going on now it's it's awesome because it's a two-way street like we fans and people we feel like we can kind of be more involved with celebrities and just you know commenting or whatever but it's also like there's a new avenue for like the haters to get through even more too now so they're getting a lot more i feel like i don't know if it's more amplified in that sense because people there's a lot of hate comments out there and like i think it's like everybody has a voice right like even the people that don't like certain celebrities they all have a voice but I think with the Britney thing what's interesting is that even though she is technically a 90s early 2000s pop star like what's going on with her um because we have Twitter we we're kind of stating like what's going on with her life with the whole conservatorship and stuff like that that's coming out more to light i feel that with twitter and instagram like people aren't able to get away with as much as before like we're seeing now um i had no idea that britney was going through all this stuff like i just i knew about the surface level things because it was pretty apparent like when she shaved her head and started running out the hair salon but i had no idea that her dad controlled everything 
and she doesn't even have a cell phone, does she? Or no, she has a cell phone, but he has her income or something, right? Didn't her conservatorship go towards her sister now? So she's still under someone else's I think it's control. split between her dad and a bank that handles um, like the financials or something. That just happened, like, recently. It was funny because after the Britney documentary, I was watching the Paris documentary on YouTube. I mean, she kind of had this... They All these, like, celebrities at the time kind of had the same life, right? With um, them being blamed and beca- being the villain in whatever breakup story, right? The women were primarily like that. Um, so she was saying the Me Too movement was around back then. Then it would be very different. All of this has made it easier for women to have the ability to speak up and have people to support them as well. And I think, I mean, there's a lot that we can go into. Funnily enough, we are. Okay, let's actually get into our topic for today. Do we still need feminism today? Ooh, let's hash it out. So what does everyone think? Do you think we still need feminism today before we get into hashing it out? Uh, Hell yes. yeah. For sure. Oh, Is no. Is there a no among us? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's say it this way. I'm not educated enough to say yes or no. Is that fair? Because how I think of feminism, just I always thought them as being man haters and that's not who I am. I love my husband. But <laughs> love a man. Yeah. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, for a, for a long time, that's what people thought of feminists. So you're not wrong. Yeah. So yeah. Right. literally probably 10 years ago, that was like the main consensus. So I feel like there is just a very negative connotation associated with feminism. And that leads to a lot of women believing that they're not feminist. Well, people think that it's just this whole like man-hating movement when it's just like, who cares about I them mean, right now? I mean, to be honest, that was. I thought it was a movement that really just was about not necessarily equality because I think when you're fighting for something, unfortunately what happens is that there's always going to be extremists in every movement. And unfortunately, those extremists kind of like take away from what's really the main focus and the main goal of what Don't they're we know yeah i will say though um i didn't really understand the extent to which we need feminism uh before like i researched i think after researching i was like wow we really need to do a lot of work still the best way to go about that is just laying down some framework for everyone to understand what it actually is do we still need feminism by exploring what it is and its origins. What are the common misconceptions associated with feminism and how it's relevant today? Inequality and the subjugation of any population breeds resentment and the will to retaliate in any form. We've seen it all the time, but especially if it's an attack on half of one's population. Feminism is such a huge topic and it's contentious even today. What is feminism then? Feminism is about all genders having equal rights and opportunities, respecting every woman's diverse experiences, identities, knowledge, and also striving to empower all women to realize their full potential. So it's not just about women, but everyone deserves an equal footing in life, regardless of how they were born. Okay, but where did it originate? And how did it originate? I'll do a brief run-through of feminism and its progression through different waves. Since I can't cover everything that I'd like to, I'd recommend a book called Feminism is for Everybody by Bell Hooks. 
So let's begin with the first wave. The first wave took place between the 1800s and 1900. Feminists of this time fought towards attaining basic fundamental rights that white men with land already had. This was the beginning of the suffrage movement. Susan B. Anthony, Abigail Adams, and their contemporaries pressured the forefathers unsuccessfully to think of the ladies as they made laws for the United States. These notions carried into the first wave with the 1848 Seneca Falls Convention where abolitionists proclaimed in their famous Declaration of Sentiments that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal. There were non-white activists, such as Sojourner Truth, who is best known for her speech on racial inequalities. Ain't I a Woman delivered at the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in 1851. The hard work of these first American feminists led to the ratification of the 19th Amendment and allowed women to vote. I think one thing we tend to overlook here is that a lot of the times we don't really look at race, right? When we're looking at this movement in the early 20th century. Yeah. And so I want to ask you guys, was early feminism, in your opinion, only focused on white women? It probably was. Yeah, those are the only women that were able to have a voice. I feel like if you're white, you kind of have more advantages than others. Right. And do you think race was an issue that was discussed at the time alongside with gender inequality? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, for sure. This was happening, as I mentioned, the abolitionist movement. Well, I hate to crush your spirits, but mainstream feminism at the time really ignored race. It is a modern day belief that you really can't divorce civil rights from voting rights. But at that time, this was not really a common mindset. Even with the Seneca Falls Convention that Afrin mentioned, they completely failed to address the racism and oppression that was faced by black women. I know all of you know who Susan B. Anthony is. Afreen also just mentioned her. She's also, is she on the 50 cent? Susan B. Anthony appears as a silver dollar. Yes, silver dollar. Wow, I was about to sound so dumb. Thank you, Afreen. Anyways, so everybody knows her. And actually, a lot of people really look up to her. So when Hillary Clinton ran for president in 2016, a lot of women wore white dresses to commemorate her and the suffrage movement to go vote. A lot of people had taken their I Voted stickers and put them on the tombstone of not only Susan B. Anthony, but had also put it on the tombstone of her contemporaries. And people of color at the time were like, hold on, like, don't forget, Susan B. Anthony and her contemporaries were racist. You got it. What? Basically, Susan B. Anthony and her crew were big proponents of the 13th Amendment, which was so that all men are created equal, right? That was what the 13th Amendment did. It abolished slavery. And what they found out was that with the 13th Amendment, like how Offering was mentioning, they said like, hey, like, you know, treat us ladies right. But they didn't. They only granted men equal rights. And Susan B. Anthony and her crew, they were big proponents of the 13th Amendment. They wanted to abolish slavery, but all of a sudden their mindset changed when the 15th Amendment was ratified, which secured voting rights for all men of all races and didn't extend this right to women. And she is quoted saying, I will cut off this right arm of mine before I will ask for the ballot for the Negro and not for the woman. Because, sorry to break it to you, but she believed she was above black men and women. Racist. That's <laughs> yeah. 
and she accepted funding from white supremacists. So it's, it's kind of unfortunate to hear that because she is such a leader in the suffrage movement and really one of the biggest names in early feminism, but she was totally racist. And actually when Washington DC's first suffrage parade was organized in 1913, the lead planner, Alice Paul, she was freaking out that black women were gonna show up. And she was like, oh my God, if we have black women, that means that white women may not show up. So the historic march was segregated. It just puts a real like stain on these memories. But again, are we surprised? Absolutely not. I think for me, like I knew that there was segregation and there was discrimination towards black people, but I think maybe call it ignorance, but I just never put the two together. Because again, at this time, there was not a common practice to combine civil rights with gender rights, you know? And I think a big part of that too is the way we were taught in school growing up. It didn't by any means give us any idea that that was a thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. School never taught us this. They literally taught it to us like it was it was so sugarcoated. It was so like watered down. The way history has been written for students to absorb it is done on purpose so that we don't see these negative impacts. Exactly. And so like if you couldn't already tell the U.S. and other commonly white-dominated countries like the U.K., early feminism there only commonly benefited white women. In these sort of countries, if other issues like race arise, white feminism silences them by saying that we're not talking about X issue, like we're not talking about race, we're talking about gender. But they don't understand that these issues intersect. And one thing that's really important to note is while white feminism celebrated their recent 100-year anniversary of the right to vote, women of color didn't actually receive the right to vote until 45 years later with the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So I think that's just a really sad, uh, overlooking thing that we never pay attention to when we celebrate the right to vote as women. And we never learned about in school. Yeah. It's just forgotten, apparently. Yeah. And so Sojourner Truth, who Afreen mentioned, is actually known as the founder of intersectionalism because she talked about having equal rights as a Black person, but also as a woman. So this is the first time we're seeing these two collide. And the last question I wanted to ask you guys was that, did you know there were actually women at the time before women were granted the right to vote who were pro-suffrage simply because they did not want to grant more rights to people of color. What? I did not know that, but that's disgusting as well. And these white women actually elected to forego their own rights rather than see black folks gain any. Like, for example, in Georgia, they wrote this whole anti-suffrage propaganda. And basically, all it said was that they don't want the right to vote because they want to maintain white supremacy. You know, the Karens of the yesteryear. That's who they are. Yeah, well said. Now let's go ahead and talk about the, the second wave. So this occurred during the 1960s to the 80s. At the end of World War II, women were actively working in an industrial jobs previously reserved for men because they were out fighting the war. As men returned home and went back into the workforce, women were expected to once again become homemakers. But guess what? Women who felt the taste of having this agency did not want to go back and following the civil rights movement expected equal pay and that was the main mission of theirs is, hey, if I'm working, I should be making the same amount as a man. I do the same or better amount of work. 
Eventually, with their efforts, the Equal Pay Act of 1963 was another victory for women. This is the most recognized wave of feminism we think of the 1960s. This is where we see feminists trying to refuse their idea of sexuality or what a woman should be. They would take on physical characteristics that were similar to men's, not what you would expect from like a feminine woman. The most notable protest that I think you guys should know was the 1968 Miss America pageant, where we hear of bra burning protests. That never happened, actually. Protesters were throwing objects like bras, Playboy magazines away, and they were not burning it. So I think that's where this kind of negative connotation comes from. I feel like that's all I heard um, about that protest was that people just threw their bras and burned them. I think this was done as an attempt to belittle the trials of women. A hundred percent. Because towards the end of the 70s and the early 80s, we saw the rise of comfortable conservatism from the Reagan era. So this kind of lends in to the third wave where we're getting closer to the turn of the century. I know all five of us were alive at this time. It began from the 1990s into the 2000s. So we've kind of experienced this even though we're really young. Represent. For a second, I thought you were talking about 80s. I was like, hold up, I ain't that old. <laughs> Same, I was like, um, what's she about to say? I wish sometimes when I was younger that I was born in the 80s, but I kind of like being born in the 90s because I'm not 30 yet. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> a lot of what women were fighting in the second wave weren't actually accomplished in the United States. Although we did get the 1963 Equal Pay Act, women were still fighting to get more equal pay. And as time went on, political figures like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, they actually challenged a lot of the gains that feminists had gotten in the 60s and 80s. A lot of the time during the 80s was becoming like the 1950s, where feminists lost a lot of frown. And also, the third wave of feminism began in a generation that had grown up with a negative idea of feminism. They pushed against a lot of these hard-earned accomplishments. But I did want to mention, moving away from North America, feminists in South America, Latin America, and Europe had succeeded in some of these goals by creating state-run institutions to help women that explicitly promoted women's rights, feminist involvement in government, and better resourcing for women who need money or assistance. As the second wave push against the idea of femininity, lipstick feminism is basically saying, hey, I can be a feminist and I can look as beautiful as I want to and also be very sex positive. It doesn't need to be me just dressing like a man and pushing like a lipstick or all my makeup and throwing it in the trash, no. Basically, the concepts of womanhood and female sexuality emitted from a woman's body are not actually mutually exclusive. You can be both. So I thought that was kind of nice. That's where we get icons like Pink or like Gwen mm, Stefani. Like grunge. Like, you can be badass, but you can look hot as hell if you wanted to. An example of lipstick feminism is uh, Legally Blonde, guys. My favorite movie ever. Do you guys think that feminist liberation always means to be like sexually liberated? When I was younger, I did. I put two and two together. I thought one were the same. But is it not? I think what we need to keep in mind is that feminism isn't just sexual liberation, but it's different for each person, right? I think it's important to keep in mind that women who are kind of toned down, they might have a mindset to other people might think that they're oppressed, but they're not just because, you know, they dress more modestly or, you know, aren't as vocal sexually. Good point. No, that's a good point. Yeah. And I feel like especially women who are dressed more modestly, they're mm -hmm. not oppressed, yet they're portrayed in the media or to other women as oppressed and educated. Yeah. And that 
leads me to kind of go in France where women are banned from wearing a niqab and a niqab in Islam is a face covering. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, it's like for what? (laughs) It's speaking on something they clearly know nothing about. When people were asking for a reasoning, the response was women who will wear the veil display their religious and community affiliation, which harms the unity and secularism of the French Republic. Yeah, I, when I heard that, I was like, that is absolute BS. Because if you told an American in a more conservative country, like, hey, you know, you can't wear shorts, they would be like, that's ridiculous. Why not? And if you t- you said, oh, this goes against our national identity, they'd be like, that's BS. You're oppressing me. Exactly. Why does it have to say that what you wear makes you oppressed? You know, and Muslim women are just tired of being seen as oppressed and weak solely for what they choose to wear. And this doesn't have to just be Muslim women, but any woman from any background that dresses modestly, right? In the Catholic religion as well, you see that women are supposed to be dressed a little bit more modestly. And even if you enter in Vatican City, they ask women to cover their yeah. shoulders, cover their bare legs. Thank you. Respect to, you know. I remember in Thailand, they made me buy <laughs> elephant pants so that I could go into the palace. It's just a form of respect. And I want to elaborate more on Islam, where women are not required to wear a niqab, but the women who do, and especially in foreign countries such as France, UK, where it's not mandatory to, you know, obviously cover your face, they do it because they want to do it. I want to, like, emphasize how sexual liberation is just one form of feminism. Preach, sister. Sexual liberation doesn't necessarily mean secular liberation. Wow. My mind blown. I want to put more emphasis on Islam because I feel like in the media, Islam is seen as a very oppressing religion to women. So Islam actually grants women access to what feminists now are fighting for. They have access to education, financial independence, an option to use contraception, the right to sexual satisfaction, the right to divorce, and a refusal to marry a man, especially if it's forced upon her, can have roles in leadership uh, and even view women as equal to a man. Yet, due to cultural influence and politics, many women are oppressed by those in higher power who do not grant them their basic rights. And it's just funny to me how you have countries like Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, India, Haiti, etc., which have elected women in power, yet the Western meaning on liberation is what dominates. Right, because America has yet to have a woman president. I mean, we have a vice president. Kamala Harris actually is a really good role model because she represents like multiple different roles. She identifies as a woman, a black woman. A South Asian woman. So already we have this kind of idea that Sarah brought upon earlier with Sojourner Truth that's called intersectionality, which is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different kinds of discrimination and privilege. So examples of this are gender, sex, race, sexuality, religion, disability, physical appearance, and height. So like the list can go on and on. I'm basically going into what is known as the fourth wave, which is happening as we speak, you guys. So about a decade ago, when queer people and trans women had their voices amplified through the means of social media and political representation. So as you can see, whenever there's an imbalance of power between groups of people, there will always be a fight for equality. This has been happening for generations 
and women across the world are still struggling and fighting for the cause. All right, guys, welcome to our break segment. For today's episode, we will be actually conducting a bit of a social experiment. So Gomu and I have come up with a list of 10 never-have-I-ever scenarios, and we want to see how many of you have experienced this. So I want all of you to hold up 10 fingers. I know the listeners can't see us, but we'll share how many fingers we have left in the end. And as Gomla and I go through these scenarios, we want you to put a finger down if you've been through this experience. And if you're listening, you should do it with us and see how many you have left. These 10 scenarios are lists of situations that women have commonly felt discriminated against. This is really exciting. Yeah. All right, everybody, hold up your 10 fingers. Okay, cool. All right, number one. Never have I ever had my coworkers not take me seriously versus my male counterparts just because I'm a woman. Never have I ever felt uncomfortable walking alone in public at night. Never have I ever not been allowed to stay out late only because I'm a girl. Literally story of my life. Never have I ever been told I look like a whore or a slut. Never have I ever been told by a man I don't know as much as him just because I'm a woman. Never have I ever been told how I should dress. Never have I ever been given comments such as, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you have bad skin, and many more comments like that that just made me feel uncomfortable. You guys, I'm getting in my face. I don't feel comfortable, guys. It's like triggering. Never have I ever been told to take care of my brother, my husband, my in-laws, my family, because it's my responsibility to take care of them. Never have I ever been given a compliment by a man, but still felt uncomfortable by that quote-unquote compliment. Oh god. Never have I ever been told I'm too emotional. <gasps> oh my god, that is the most triggering of all. Yeah. All right, guys, how many fingers do you have up? I have none. I have one. I have two. I have two. How many do you guys have up that are listening? Let us know in the comments or email us. Wait. (laughs) DM us on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, I feel so vulnerable right now. But I need my ice cream more than ever. Yeah, you do, girl. Those are really good points that you guys both thought of. These are shared experiences that many women if not all women have to go through just for the sheer fact that we're women yeah and it's sad because half these things i don't think i I thought twice about like when it happens it's like stockholm syndrome to an extent where we're just so used to it why fight it it's just the way things are although we could but it's just going to be met with a lot of adversity it's just yeah i don't know i can't tell you how many times like oh my god mine's about to cry no i'm good it's okay. When we were writing this, we were both just like to each other. We were like, oh my God, number yeah. four or number seven or number eight. Yeah. Like, that's so true. It was making my blood boil just thinking of all those instances. Especially the emotional one. The amount of times I've been told I'm too emotional. I would also like to ask this question to women who are differently abled, who are a very marginalized community. I'd love to hear what you think or what you face. So if you have any stories, please share them. Instagram is a great place for now. Yeah, we would definitely like to hear what your thoughts are. What's our email? Hashboundgirls at gmail.com. 
Cool. It's just a really depressing almost realization that we have internalized all these things we've been affected by. And when we compare ourselves to our male counterpart, it just it's unfair. It's like we're kids and then out of nowhere we hit puberty and then we're expected to be adults, you know? It's okay. I'm almost 30 and I still feel I mean, like same. a kid. I have a kid and I still feel like a kid. So. And it's just like all of a sudden you're expected to be responsible and take care of others when sometimes you're the one that needs to be taken care of, you know? Amen. Comparing us to the older generations who felt like they really had no hope and almost internalized a lot of these struggles and these inequalities, at least now people are becoming more outspoken and things are getting a little better. So hopefully the future generations will experience even less than what we did. Amen. Amen to that. You know what's crazy is I asked my husband, have you ever felt uncomfortable walking alone at night? And he was like, no. I was like, do you ever look over your shoulder when you go anywhere? And he was like, no. And I was like, this is literally male privilege. You know, there are oftentimes really that I'm in situations where I feel like I have to have my husband really walk, like when I come home at night, like walk to the front door because I'm nervous that like someone might attack me. And he tells me like, you know, it's fine. We're in a safe neighborhood. But really, just sometimes as a woman, you just get scared. Like it could be like in a blink of an eye. I, someone could I just... have so much fear like going yeah. to the grocery store because apparently the grocery store is where you're more likely to get assaulted or kidnapped or something. Like parking garages really freak me out. Heck yeah, yo! I will never be in a parking garage alone yeah. at night. Mm-mm. Not even at night. Even in the daytime, like That's I just true. feel so. I feel like somebody is watching yeah. me from somewhere. And in college, I remember I had a class that ended at 10 p.m. and I had to walk in the dark back to my apartment and I would call my mom or call a friend or someone to keep me company because like I would just be so scared. Ultimately we gotta just stay positive as best as we can and make sure that um, we're taking a look at our surroundings and know that we are not alone. Or we can just have more laws and regulations. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Hopefully our future generations don't have to experience as much inequality and moments of fear that we did amen welcome back everyone thanks for listening to our break let's get back into it we last left off running through the origin of feminism and the different waves and the unfortunate lifelong struggle for women now that feminism has a bigger platform we are seeing extreme forms of feminism emerge these are women who someone would say are just tired of being misunderstood or unjustly treated But with their inclusion, more misconceptions regarding the feminist movement have also surfaced. Often people are only turned off by the movement just because the idea of being a feminist sounds like someone who's probably a crazy man-hater. Guys, I pretty much admitted to that earlier in the episode, but that's not the case at all. Why do you guys think so many people have a bad perception of feminism and what it really stands for? Well, I think just like how you mentioned, like all these extreme forms of feminism have come through and really confused people as to what the meaning is exactly and propaganda from the 80s have said that feminists were basically crazy women instead of having an actual good agenda to help and benefit everyone did you know that over half of women globally on average do not associate themselves with the term feminist so you're not alone that honestly makes me feel a little bit better but sad at the same time yeah i mean (laughs) i was kind of surprised to see this statistic because i thought more people would associate themselves with being feminist but apparently not 
In 2019, a National Geographic survey found that only 29% of American women identified as feminist, while on the other hand, 53% believe that men have it easier than women. Why is there such a disconnect? I'm so confused. So you believe in the cause, but you don't want to call yourself. And in 2018, 8 out of 10 people in the UK believed in equal rights for men and women, but only 37% said they were feminist. So what's happening here? People are confused. Exactly. And I think what could really explain it, in my mind, and from what I've read, is that the word feminism has different meanings for different people. There is basically a lack of common agreement or understanding about what the word means. And people try to think that the word just doesn't relate to them. The average person probably is only seeing extreme feminism that the media shows. So they're thinking it's a political term versus something about equality. I think that's so true. You know, whether we are seeing it on Instagram, on Twitter, on the news, how the media likes to focus more on radical feminists. For example, the free period movement in the UK where two girls, Charlie Edge and Ruth Howarth, protested against the tax on tampons by standing in front of the parliament and free bleeding. And if you guys don't know what free bleeding is, it's basically where there is no barrier between you bleeding and nothing to, um, yeah, just bleeding bleeding freely. freely. What? No barrier for your menstruation. I would be so traumatized if I saw that. Like I'm minding my own business in the grocery store and I just see (laughs) all that. Please don't make us visualize that. So they were demonstrating by wearing white pants and they bled to show how necessary it is for women to have tampons and pads and how they shouldn't be taxed. The quote is, taxes are necessary. I get it. So are tampons and pads. Well, that I agree with. (laughs) Another organization that we kind of associate feminism in in the media is Femin. And their motto is, it's a battle against sexism and the female oppression. It was intended to protect women's rights. And I actually went on their website to get more information on them. And on their website, it says, Our God is a woman. Our mission is protest. Our weapon are bare breasts. And so Femin is born. Wow, what the heck? So their ideology is basically sextronism, atheism, and feminism. And they want to fight the patriarchy by sexual exploitation of women in dictatorship and religion. There have actually been even criminal cases against this organization, one in which during a raid of the movement's office, the Ukrainian police found a pistol and a grenade, and the organization said that it was planted there to frame them. Another form of radical feminism in the media is the demonstration in Mexico, which happened in the beginning of 2019, where female activists um, defaced national monuments, attacked government offices, splashed red paint on doors of the National Palace. They claimed they wanted to do this due to violence against women in the country, where data supports the fact that almost 11 women are slain. And recently, in September 2020, they stormed into Mexico's National Human Rights Commission to seize control. And they, quote, evicted government workers, ripped paintings of revolutionary heroes from the walls, and declared from now on the federal building in downtown Mexico City would be a shelter for 
female victims of violence. Wow. I kind of love that. It kind of goes to that same stereotype where women are just angry and whiny and don't really know what they're talking about. It puts a very negative light to a very real movement that is much more than that. Right. Like, I understand that they're tired of not being heard and of the injustice, but I don't know if taking such extreme measures is what's going to help. I think in certain countries, especially like women's voices are so overlooked that sometimes in those situations, they just feel like maybe that's their only option. I think the mainstream media mainly only shows us extreme examples of feminism when a majority of feminists, ultimately what they truly want is just to be treated as equals in a society regardless of gender. And that's certainly not a crazy idea, but I just feel like it's a basic human right. In an article published by Forbes, I read through some common misconceptions about feminism, and I really, really want our listeners to have an open mind while I go through some of them. And hopefully together, we can spread positive information for those who are still on the fence about what it really stands for. You guys, this is my favorite part when I was really looking into this. So are you guys ready for it? I'm ready. I'm ready. You ready? All right. Okay. For one, feminists hate men and reject femininity. Today, the average woman often believes that the feminists hate men, swear of marriage and children, and reject anything traditionally feminine. But in reality, feminism is not about hating the opposite sex. At its core, feminism is a fundamental belief that men and women should have equal opportunities. Number two, feminists are supposed to defy tradition. For example, with this misconception, it would be frowned upon when a woman gets married and changes her last name. You're going against the feminist code. Have you guys ever felt judged if you decided to go against the woman code or never i am harassed by my husband i think um yeah same i don't have a husband (laughs) (laughs) i mean men are trash i don't need that (laughs) this is the episode for me all right by the way guys i'm kidding if you're an eligible bachelor or no an eligible bachelor operate a single oh i was gonna say like there are things that sometimes i do that are traditionally like they're feminine like I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to take care of your man sometimes right as long as it's both ways but maybe someone who's very radical in their feminism thinking would probably look down that's on that. blasphemous I mean I just think it should always be mutual right like if you're a 100 percent yeah exactly. I don't think that's anti-feminist to want to take care of your man 100%. as long as he's taking care of you too it's not a Especially if you enjoy exactly. it, if you want to, exactly. I mean, even if, you know, it's just, it's what brings you joy. If you enjoy baking cookies and having dinner on the table at five o'clock when your husband comes home, there's nothing wrong with that. If that brings It's you just because you love them, you want to do something for them, not necessarily because they're a man and you have to do it. Exactly. I want to bring this back into the different waves of feminism, because if you were talking to a woman from the second wave feminism, you're going to have this whole misconception that, yeah, we don't want men. We reject the idea of men. But the third wave... Like we have women just being whoever they want to be and loving whoever they want to love, men or women, and owning their own agency. That's what Sarah's kind of basically saying. She's feminist, but she's also there to support the people she loves. It's beautiful. Right, exactly. Initially, what I was going to say is I feel like women should stop judging other women for their personal choices, but just in general, everyone should stop judging women for their personal choices. Feminism is empowering women with the freedom to forge their own path. Whether, just like Hani said, whatever they want to do, let them do it. Whether it's running a household, baking freaking cookies, 
cookies, let them bake the damn cookies. If they want to run a corporation, let them own that corporation. She shouldn't be held by that negativity. What do we think, ladies? Amen to that. That is so true because I see so many women trying to put each other down, whether it's somebody that stays at home taking care of their kids and they'll look down on the woman that's going to work into an office and leaving her kids with a sitter. Or I'll see that same person that's going into the office, she'll judge the stay-at-home mom that's taking care of the kids. And it's like, why can't we just all be happy with what we're doing in our lives? A hundred percent. We just need to get into the habit of just supporting each other. And if we do that, Mm -hmm. we would rule the world. Are you ladies um, actually familiar with the term meninism or menism? Yes. I am not, but I already Oh my gosh, yes. Is it about men having their menses? Basically, (laughs) someone who I know is a meninist and the things that they say are just freaking ridiculous. Did they declare themselves as one? Because he basically was, if a woman slaps me, I'm going to slap her back. I don't care. Who is this? Stop. Can't say. I can't give, give their name out. Let me see. Who? Don't be afraid to call them out. I never heard of this term before until actually a friend brought it up when it became a thing in the early 2000s. They wish they could be the equivalent of the women's rights movement. I was gonna say that Urban Dictionary it says that a meninist is an insecure man-child whose existence rests on the systemic oppression of women and claims to be a men's right activist, but only mentions men's issues after similar women's issues has been raised. That is the correct definition. Who do they think they are? Yeah. I just cringe An so insecure hard. man-child yeah. whose pathetic existence. <laughs> I love that. Very that accurate. That is so accurate. Yeah. It just goes back to being educated, right? Like, why, again, are men making it about the themselves when we're not even trying to make it about ourselves we're just asking for equality like i just don't want to be a victim to rape and murder and i just don't want to get hurt in the middle of the night like what's so i don't understand why men are even trying to justify like having this i just want to live my life without fear of being murdered You have a valid point. Emma Watson said in a speech to the United Nations, both men and women should feel free to be sensitive. Both men and women should feel free to be strong. It's a time that we all perceive gender on a spectrum instead of the two sets of opposing ideals. And I think she said it better than anyone else. And last but not least, another misconception is that others believe that feminism is about achieving matriarchy and the eventual goal is to actually oppress the male population. What? I I don't get that. The idea is often mocked or dramatized through the media. Again, feminism, what? What's the goal, guys? What's the goal? Quality. Quality. Equality fucking tea. I just wanted to end off with this. American women have made tremendous strides in the past century, but we still lag behind men at the highest level of leadership. Why is that? Ultimately, what I want to conclude in is we did discuss a lot of different types of misconception, but the main thing from this is that just because a person does not feel firsthand the unequal opportunity of women, this does not mean that the movement should not exist. If a person doesn't see unequal opportunity, that doesn't mean that misogyny isn't real. Yes, 100%. Could not agree more. So this brings us to our next topic. We went through the origins of feminism, each of the first four waves, and a lot of the misconceptions that hinder the movement, I think. But now we're going to go into our next topic, which is why feminism is relevant today. I'd like to start out with a short answer first off. Feminism is relevant today because women are powerful and strong and beautiful and all around badass. And we not only have dealt with centuries of sexism, misogyny, inequality, but despite it all, despite it all, we rise above. 
Hell yeah! So it wasn't as short of an answer as I thought it would be. Feminism has withstood the test of times, but now it's a little different. It seems as though we're trying to tackle everything at once nowadays. Whereas a hundred years ago, the major feminist movement we heard about was the suffrage movement, like Afreen was talking about. But now, because of the media, women have had the chance to amplify our outcries more than ever, and we're tackling everything. Because there's a lot going on. And why shouldn't we? Because we're half the population, women make up a huge part of the workforce. According to a study conducted in 2020, women were making only 81 cents for every dollar a man made. This takes into account job titles, years of experience, industry, location, and other factors. Boo! How insane is that? The gender pay gap is a huge issue. And if you wanted to add further insult to injury, I have some statistics for you. According to the United Nations Development Program, which looked at findings from over 80% of the world's population, so this is basically globally, 90% of men and women hold some sort of bias against women. Yes. Men and women? What kind of women Karen, are holding bias against women? I have no idea. 50% of men and women believe men make better leaders than women. 40% believe men have more of a right to a job if they're scarce than a woman. And this last one will really upset you. 28% of men and women believe a man can beat his wife. Y'all just demons now. That makes me sick. I don't understand how a woman can possibly say yes to that. It's just so frustrating when you hear this. And... Overall, globally, there are only 10 out of a potential 193 government heads who are female. 10. Statistics don't lie. There's just so many intelligent, capable women that I know for a fact have been like not recognized in the ways they've deserved. And that's what I attribute that to. It's not because they're not as capable. It's because they're not being recognized and they're not being as equally seen as their male peers. Exactly. Because for some reason, women are just never taken seriously. And we're just seen as overdramatic babies when in actuality, it's men who are the overdramatic babies most of the time. Women have a higher pain threshold, for goodness sakes. We give birth. That's not easy. <laughs> I've experienced it. Well, I mean, I don't even know about you guys, but there have definitely been occasions at work where I've felt like, or not even just at work in school, whatever, that I've felt like I've needed to outperform my male peers. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you guys? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's almost, like you have to justify yourself to your male peers. And like you- It's like this invisible thing. Yeah. Like they don't take you seriously and you have to like prove yourself that you are worthy. And like, why is that the case? It's like they're in some secret club and you just can't get in. The boys club. And if you act like a man, then you are considered bossy. Again, everyone has their own experience. Personally, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to have female leaders really just, you know, strive the path for me in my work environment. It's a privilege in a sense, because I know that's not really the case with a lot of people. Recently, my boss that I used to work for left the company and now I have a male boss and I was really a little nervous not really knowing how the dynamic would be but he has been honestly a really good role model in a sense where he's just making sure I'm getting the best platform that I can sometimes unfortunately it can be rare that we have like male superiors or something that are supportive and And he said he straight up told me like you know at the end of the day I'm never gonna know what you're really going through so he always makes sure that I have proper monthly one-on-ones with other female managers in the company just so I can get that point of view that I really wouldn't get so I I know that's not the case for a lot of people and I think that's why I think the way I too but I'm not ignorant I know what's really happening yeah 
And it's sad. Unfortunately, it's still one of those things that the majority, we feel a type of way. And we are treated a type of way. And it's not because, you know, we might be underperforming, but there's this weird invisible need, like Sarah was saying, that we need to do more in order to feel equal when that's clearly not the case. And to go back to the gender pay gap issue, if I'm doing more, should I be making more than a male peer that barely gets by? I mean, in an ideal world, yes, but unfortunately, they do the bare minimum. Um, on a daily basis, we're tasked with so, so much as it is being women. We feel like we need to outperform in a male dominated world. We know that walking down the street can be a hazard because we're wary of cat collars or just creepy men in general. And walking alone at night, that's not something you'll ever feel comfortable doing as a woman. And you better have your mace on your keychain. And not only that, how we look needs to match an unrealistic beauty standard that's set by people who made heroin chic a thing in the 90s. Like who, who, why are we listening to these people? That's a different story. And even what we do with our bodies is determined by old white men in positions of power. What we wear is even up for discussion. Did we ask for the unwanted attention? You know, it's all of these little things that add up to just, it sometimes feels like a very exhausting life to live. You know, we just, being a woman isn't easy. Yeah. And this takes me to my next point. Crime statistics show that one in four women aged 16 to 59 have experienced domestic abuse. That's one in four, 25% of that demographic. One of the most harmful forms of abuse, sexual abuse, affects mostly women. This is arguably one of the most important reasons why feminism is relevant today. Now more than ever, women are bravely speaking up about the abuse that they've faced. I'm sure we all know about the Me Too movement, which has taken the world by storm. I would argue that the Me Too movement is like the point of this wave of feminism right now. But little do most people know is that the movement was actually started more than 10 years ago. Activist Tarana Burke started the movement in 2006 based on experiences in her youth. She used this to help and encourage other women to come forward and stand up for themselves because this is that's all where this stems from. Women are scared of standing up for themselves in a world dominated by men, in a world that chooses to believe the abuser over the abused. But that's slowly beginning to change. What really drove the Me Too movement forward was once the Harvey Weinstein allegations came forward a couple years ago. And Tarana herself said that Harvey Weinstein is a symbolic case. To see a high-profile, rich white man be convicted of a crime is, in general is always astonishing. But it's not just about celebrities, and she pointed that out herself. She said that the movement is about everyday sexual violence that may not make headlines on the news every night. This is affecting everyone, and this movement hasn't just helped women, it's uplifted and empowered all victims of sexual abuse and given them a safe space. Here are just a couple of changes that have stemmed from this movement in the last couple of years. States are beginning to ban non-disclosure agreements that cover sexual harassment. The Time's Up Legal Defense Fund has helped more than 3,600 people seek justice. Congress has reformed some of its processes for staffers reporting sexual harassment, and some survivors are actually getting financial restitution now. So in a matter of years, all of those changes have happened and they're going to continue to happen the more this movement just, just gets more popular. That, like there are actual positive results. Yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of the times, like we were kind of talking about earlier, we're focused on, I mean, we're not necessarily focused on the negative, but it's hard to see past it sometimes. When I read this myself, it, it in a way, it just like warmed my heart. I was like, you know, there's so many bad things that happen to women and sexual abuse is just such a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that some people go through. And the fact that actual change is being made is just amazing to me. And then you see women, powerful as ever. <laughs> we marched on Washington for the first time around four years ago. Women's March was held in 2017 as a um, response to Donald Trump's inauguration as president. And... Boo. 
Yeah, major boo. And even though there won't be one this year due to COVID, the message is still quite clear and it has been since its inception. The Women's March aims to advocate for legislation and policies regarding human rights and other issues, including women's rights, immigration reform, healthcare reform, reproductive rights, the environment, LGBTQ rights, racial equality, freedom of religion, workers' rights, and tolerance. You can see the global impact of the U.S. Women's March around the world, right? Um, More awareness of gender equality issues and confidence is given to women around the world to speak up. Other countries followed the U.S. Women's March. In March of 2020, Chile had the Women's Day March where 150,000 protesters gathered in Santiago to raise awareness of inequality and gender-based violence. And I quote... We are a generation of women that has woken up. We are not afraid to speak out and struggle. And in March of 2018, Pakistan actually held their first ever Aurat March. And that's just the Urdu phrase for Women's March. And this was to gather in protests to raise awareness to end harassment and violence against women. The movement had expanded into other deeper issues as well, such as transgender rights. Crowds and protesters chanted Mary Jassim, Mary Marzi, which translates to my body, my choice. There was intense backlash from the right wing criticizing this that this chant and the whole movement was inappropriate, vulgar and obscene. And didn't they like criticize the founder, the organizer, saying she's like a cheater and all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, everybody got a lot of death threats and really horrible backlash because the main goal of the right wing is to oppress women and kind of make them be this home giver type of persona, which not all women are. And so an organizer in Karachi said, there is a deep conflict in society that we live in about the right of women to ask for their rights to be mobile, to be out on the streets. And despite all these conflicts and criticism that they face, the march has still been occurring every year in almost every city in Pakistan. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Especially knowing how sexist Pakistan can Mm be. And similarly, South Korea was also voted very poorly on the gender equality index, which is surprising to many because of the recent K-pop and K-drama popularization that has taken over. In June 2018, South Korea had the largest women's march ever to date with 22,000 women marching through Seoul protesting the use of spy cams. According to a report recently published by the World Bank, only eight countries in the world offer full legal protection to women. Sudan came last with 29% and Pakistan was before that with 49%. The U.S. is not one of those eight countries, guys. The U.S. came at 91%. So not terrible, but not what we want. The thing is, feminism isn't just about good old-fashioned sexism anymore. It's about all the people who've been oppressed by gender norms and stereotypes. Feminism and gender equality is the best it's ever been, but there's still much, much more work to do because it's unacceptable for there to be any sort of gap between women and men. Of course, there'll always be some differences, but the work will never stop until we're paid the same, have the same opportunities, aren't scared to walk down a road late at night, don't feel like we have to outperform our peers. There's so much work that needs to be done. But I always wonder when will we get there? We're getting there slowly. So now that we've discussed a brief history of feminism, covered misconceptions about feminism, and 
talked about what's happening in the present day. Let's re-ask our question. Do you think the world still needs feminism today? Hell yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we all know. Like, yeah, I think we all kind of know. So I think we need to ask you in particular, because the rest of us believe in feminism and that we still need it today. I think after everything that we've talked about today, I do definitely believe in the basics hmm. of feminism. Absolutely. Yes. So you, be- so, so you believe that we all deserve equal rights regardless of gender? A hundred percent. That's not even a question to be even asked. We definitely all deserve equal rights. It's more about how we're going about it to get those equal Right. There's so many things that have happened in this past year that people have tried to do whatever they can to bring awareness to it. And that's not my issue. But I think it's when it gets to a point where to look like, you know, we're not there's the message is not getting clear. That's what I'm not. I really mean, I think for. that I think to an extent that makes sense, because like how Afreen had brought up the 1968 Miss America pageant protest, no one remembers it as a protest to reject the beauty ideals they remember it as a protest where women just burn their bras and that's all it's known for yeah and when we do these drastic demonstrations i understand the intent behind them but in my personal opinion i feel like it we don't get taken as seriously and people tend to minimize our problems yes and then it discredits the entire movement as a whole yeah Exactly. And then and then we have people who don't understand the feminist movement. And then that's why we have statistics like we have today where over half of people believe that we deserve equality, but less than like 20 exactly. or 30 percent believe in feminism. And I blame the media, actually. I used to always say that I wasn't a feminist, that I was an equalist when I was younger. When I was just also pretty ignorant as to what I was saying. Feminism is asking for equalism between genders, between all peoples. But the name in of, of itself sounds like it's for women only. So it's a lot of unlearning that I had to do to get to the point that I am now. But it's also something I'll always learn that there are people younger than us that I still learn from today. And I, I actually I would love to say thanks to TikTok. I've learned a lot. It's a great way to educate the younger generations. And I Same. even learned a lot with this episode. <laughs> and I think it's like important to know that like you don't have to be... Like, you can be a man like, and be a feminist. Exactly. If you care about your sister, your wife, daughter. I think one of the things that really stood out to me when I was a, a little kid is my dad. Growing up just taught me just really how to be a woman, ironically. Coming from a father, he told me, my, both my parents did. They both said, you know, growing up, you're going to go through a lot. And at the end of the day, you have to stand for yourself. Like, don't ever depend on a man to, you know, pay your bills. Don't ever depend on a man to make you happy. Yeah, don't ever- absolutely. I think coming from our culture too, like, you know, it's okay if you want to depend on someone else, but coming from our culture where women generally aren't as financially independent or rely on their husbands, their fathers, their brothers to do a lot for them just because they don't have that independence, it it means a lot that, you know, our fathers or our husbands are very supportive and, you know, us. A hundred percent. We are doing or believing in what we believe. And, but that's why I felt really fortunate that I've had like strong people in my life to really just make me feel like an equal. But I know, again, that's not always the case. Right. I mean, I think everybody just has different life experiences that mold the way they think. Exactly. Oof. And we're just very fortunate exactly. that we haven't had some of these more, I guess, extreme experiences that maybe led those extreme radicalists to believe the way. Yeah. But I think we can all agree yeah. like how we did the majority of us, but I don't think anybody had like five fingers up or like even four fingers up. 
So like it has affected us, even if it's but, not completely in a very major way. I, one thing I always think of is, and maybe this is me getting into like oversharing. I just remember being 10 years old and this kid in the sixth grade calling me a slut. And I had never hugged a boy ever. Like, and so it's just going back to that being a little girl and just being slut shamed, like for no goddamn reason. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's so upsetting. And I just don't want other girls to go through that. Right. No, I'm not trying to minimize our experiences. But I'm just saying that we had the right to an education, we're able to work, we're not forced against our Mm -hmm. will to do a lot of things. And I think in that regard, we are very fortunate. I mean, I had put my fingers down to almost all of the things in those situations, but I still do consider myself fortunate that I'm not as worse off as maybe people in like Mexico, like the um, radical feminists that Gomol was talking about who are being raped and murdered. You know, just because you haven't gone through it doesn't mean the other person like Sarah said has gone through it. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that person has to be in another country. It could be like your neighbor. Right. It could be your friend. You just need to be respectful towards that and being gone through it doesn't mean that. And it doesn't affect me. It doesn't mean that it's not important enough for me to Absolutely. be vocal about it. Yeah. Let's actually conclude with some overall points. Let's begin with me. If you want to know one thing from this podcast, from my section, that remember intersectionality. Think about how you can help amplify voices from people who don't necessarily look like you or think like you, but have similar struggles. Another thing really can just be like, there are always going to be a different types of misconceptions about feminism, but it's really just important just to educate yourself and understand the real meaning behind the movement versus just you know, assuming that we know. Yeah. And like, like I was saying earlier, now more than ever, feminism is relevant today. We just need to hold on to those core concepts of it. Remember that it's about equality. I was going to just add that we still have a long way to go and there's still a huge glass ceiling for women to overcome and we do it together. With everything that we've discussed today, we hope that you can take this and kind of dwell on the topic of feminism. Don't forget to email us or send us a message on Instagram. We will release these on a monthly basis. Yes, continue to listen, rate us on five stars, love us. Don't let us go. Show us love. We love you. Bye.